I love that song. Uh, there was, when our, when our openings were in the process of opening here at the church, uh, I, I leaned into that song a lot. I ended up playing it like four weeks in a row every morning. The girls were like, Dad, you're playing that song a lot. I'm like, yeah, I am. It's a, it's a great, great, great song as you're going through, through some, some storms. Well, that was about a four-week stretch, but there was about a four-year stretch not for your eight-year stretch, where I spent every Father's Day in Juarez, Mexico. I used to be at another church, and we used to take our teenagers down to Emmanuel Children's Home every year. And it just so happened that the time we were going down there overlapped with Father's Day. So I had this opportunity to spend Father's Day uh, in Juarez, Mexico for about eight years in a row. And at their little church, they really emphasized Father's Day. It was, it was a really big deal for them. I don't know what it's like now, but, but that, back in the day, it, it really was a big deal. And I, I loved when Pastor Josue would get up there. And most of these kids didn't have dads in their life. And he would do his best to try to inspire them to change that cycle and to just pour into their lives and to, and to cast a vision of what life could be if they tried to honor God as they got older with their families. And then for those that, you know, that, that weren't boys and that, um, that also for all the kids... He did such a great job of, of talking, Pastor Osue. He did such a great job of, of casting this vision that's a reality of God as their father and what that meant in real life terms. It was just beautiful. And it didn't hurt that we had some awesome, authentic Mexican food after the service every time. That was really great too. But they really honored fathers. And, and if you go to pretty much any culture throughout history up until this modern era, anywhere on the globe, fatherhood was something that has been celebrated and it's been recognized and it's been uh, affirmed, not necessarily with a day that sells a lot of cards and wings, but, but has been a, it has been an institution, it's been an office that has been celebrated. And a lot of folks forget the role that Christianity has played in trying to help fathers see their role in a more healthy and noble way. If you go to areas where Christianity is not, if you go back in history before Christianity came to that area and you look at how men and fathers treated their wives, their kids, their household, it was more like a dictatorship. And it really was Christianity and the spread of Christianity that really helped a lot of fathers understand what does a God-honoring father even look like. We pressed into that a little bit last week. We saw, we opened up our Bibles to a, first century letter that we now call the book of Ephesians. It was a real letter to real people in the first century. And we saw how Paul spoke into their lives. And he spoke to those men. And he said things like, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And he said to parents, he said, don't exasperate your children, but bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. And he said, men, You've got household servants, because almost all of them did, if they had any kind of means at all. And, and they said to you, make sure that you treat your household servants with dignity and respect, because you have the same master. It's your father in heaven. It was teachings like this that were grounded in the example and teachings of Jesus of Nazareth that forever changed the world in so many ways, and that's just one of them. That said, there are a lot of folks who believe that the teachings of Christianity didn't go far enough. And I had an experience with, uh, with, with this person not too long ago 
who was interested in our church, and one of the litmus tests of whether or not this could be a place that they could stay was what we thought of men and women. And so we sat down to lunch, and we talked, and, and we talked about how our church, we believe that every individual is an individual. Amen. Men aren't all the same as other men. Women aren't all the same as other women. And we, we talked about that, but that wasn't enough. And so we talked about specifically leadership. And we talked about how ours is a church and ours is a denomination where we believe that men, some men, not all men, some men are gifted in leadership, some women are gifted in leadership, and we do our best to discern that calling and let people live that calling out. That wasn't enough either. As the conversation went on, it became clear that what this person was really raising objections to was the fact that I was using categories of men and women. And there's those who are pushing, and they're pushing really hard from inside the church and outside the church to marginalize the role of father. They'd, they'd like to see that really erased as a, as, a, as a title, as a distinction. So in light of the culture that we're living in, we thought it would be helpful to at least spend some time, and this is the last in a series that we've been a part of, of looking what the scripture says about fathers. And we only have so much time in a, service, in a series, but we've been doing the best we can with the time we have to explore fatherhood from a biblical perspective. And the, one of the reasons we're doing that is this, and there's a place to write this down in your notes. At its core, at its core, Christianity is an invitation to experience a right relationship with Jesus Christ and who? His Father, through the gift of the Holy Spirit. As Christians, we believe that God is one, and we believe that God exists as God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, and God the Father. And so we want to understand each of these aspects, these persons of who God is. So in week one of our series, we looked at the biblical framework for fatherhood as best we could with the time we had. And we see that God wants us to know he's like a good father, not a bad, abusive, dysfunctional father. He's like a good father who provides and protects and cares for and loves his family and so much more. That was week one. In week two of our series, Brandon did a great job talking about a father's role as husband and how the more that husbands love their wives, the more the world can see this is the relationship that the church is to have with Jesus Christ. And then in week three, we looked at some pretty sobering stats. We looked at what happens when a father, instead of coming under the authority of the Heavenly Father, decide, I'm going to just define fatherhood as what's right in my own eyes. And we looked at what happened and happens um, in families where that's the case. The results can be devastating. And so then we turned a corner that week, last week, and we looked at one of the places in Scripture where God defines the win, defines the win for parenthood, and that is to bring your children up as best you can in the training and instruction of the Lord. So that's where we've been. And here's where I'd like us to go in our last week of this series. And there's a place to write this down. Here's the thought I'd love to leave you with. Heavenly fathers resemble his son. Heavenly fathers resemble his son. Now, if you aren't a father, don't tune out because the principle here applies to everyone. I just had to use the wordplay, right? Because it's what pastors do. We spend way too much time trying to figure out clever phrases like this. Way too much time. So this actually applies to everyone. But it is Father's Day, so let's start with the men. All right, we'll start with the men. Last week was a great reminder that all men are not the same. Why do I say that? Because for the first time, I think, in the history of our church, I brought up quantum physics. And I heard from a whole bunch of you. 
And it was just fascinating. People coming up when I gave this illustration about quantum physics and like, yeah, I read this book. I saw this TED talk. I was a physics major. I, you know, and it was awesome because we've got all these brilliant men who can understand these, these lofty uh, doctorate level concepts in science and philosophy. And so much so that I was just kind of nodding a lot going, I, you're probably talking truth right there, but you know, it was, it was fantastic. But then I was reminded too, that we've got men who can engage their intellect like that. And then we've got all kinds of men who can do that. And, or all these other things. Our church is filled with men who fit lots of different molds. We've got outdoorsmen. We've got a lot of outdoorsmen in this church who could teach Bear Grylls a thing or two about hunting and fishing and outdoor survival. We have got a lot of sports enthusiasts who love football and or baseball and or tennis and or hockey and or basketball and or running and or soccer and or golf and or just about anything that involves competitive motion, right? We have got men, and oh, we got a bunch of these. We got a lot of men who can fix things or make things. In fact, if you can think about just about anything that can be made or fixed, we got a guy in this church that can design it or build it or make it. We've got some amazing men that way. We also have doctors and lawyers and teachers and coaches. We have artists and architects and designers and musicians. We have CEOs and CFOs and CIOs. I'm not making any of this up. We've got all these. We've got MAs, MBAs, MDivs. We've got detectives and firefighters, police officers, military. We've got men in marketing, consulting, retail, restaurants. Some of our men have been featured on the radio, on TV, even billboards of all things. And on stage, they played the roles of everything from Buddy Holly to Jesus to Count Dracula. <laughs> May I present to you that you can honor the image of God in every one of those roles, except maybe the Dracula thing. And I'm sorry I was in ninth grade. I didn't know better. I, so... <laughs> But isn't that true, right? Men and women, men and women, can we honor God in a wide variety of roles, the way he made us, the way he designed us, with the experiences given? Yes, 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 we can. And that brings us to the win for this week. We already addressed a win for kids. Bring them up in the training instruction, Lord. What's the win for everyone? wants to be a Jesus follower? What's the win for men? What's the win for, win for women? What's the win for young and not as young as we used to be? What, what is the win? Here it is, Colossians 3.17. If you have your Bibles, just open up to this. And I encourage you to stay in Colossians because we're going to stay in the Colossians with one exception today. Colossians 3.17. If you don't have a Bible at home too, we'd love to give you one free. This day and every Sunday, we keep a stack on the uh, tables at the entrance slash exits. We'd love for you to take a copy. You don't have to let us know. Just take it. We'd love for it to be a gift to you. Here we go. Here's the win. This is the win. All ages, all genders, every one of us. However God's called us, however he's gifted us, here's our win. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through now, we're going to come back to this verse. What I want to do, though, before we do, is to just show you the tie-in here with families. We've been talking about families here throughout this series. The very next verse flows into family. So does this cover family life? Yes, because the very next verse takes us into an executive summary of what Paul took 
two chapters to do in Ephesians. Two chapters he talked about marriage, family. Here he does it in just like four verses. He says this, wives, submit to your husbands. This flows. This is the very next verse after whatever you do. Wives, submit to your husbands as fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. Children, children. You guys see this? This is, this is the word of God right here, right here. That's true. We did not set that up, um, but she's, anyway, um, as I was saying, uh, and don't be harsh with them. Uh, and children, obey your parents and everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, don't provoke your children lest they get you right in front of the rest of the congregation. <laughs> Moving along, does family life fall under this umbrella of everything you do? Yes. And so does everything else. Colossians 3.17. Let's put it back on the screen. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's our win. Amen. That's our win. There's a place to write this down in your notes as well. Why do Christians make such a big deal about Christ? Because Christ is a really big deal. Why do we do everything in the name of Christ? Because Christ is a really big deal. And I want us to now look back at the beginning of Colossians. I just had a, had a guy after the service, he said, yeah, I'm going to a Christian college. And the Christian college is having them work through Colossians three times before they even show up on campus in Welcome Week. There's so much great stuff in Colossians including this beginning. The beginning sets it all up. Before they say, do everything in the name of the Christ, they talk about who Christ is and how great he is. Here's what it says. Colossians chapter 1, so going all the way back to the beginning, starting with verse 13. The Father has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of whom? His beloved Son in whom we've got redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If you've ever heard the Christians talk about the good news, the gospel, this is it. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, and through his death and resurrection and our faith in him, we can be forgiven, we can be born again. Paul continues, Christ is the image of the invisible God. Why is he a big deal? He's the firstborn of all creation. For by Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Christ and for Christ. And he is before all things. And in Christ, all things hold together. And some of you might be thinking, no, it's the force that binds the galaxies together. Paul said it first. All right, Paul said it first, way before May 25th, 1997, just, or 1977. All right, the word says all things were created through Christ and for Christ and by Christ. And it's interesting. Paul here writes, this applies to things that are seen and unseen. And I saw some things for the first time um, just in my study Bible. I encourage people to get good materials. Uh, this is the ESV study Bible. They had a little footnote in the bottom. And they said, um, Paul, was he, when he used that language about seen and unseen, and then he followed it up by saying rulers and authorities, um, the rulers and authorities were terms back in the day that the Jewish folks used for angels. There was evidently a ranking of angels that the Jews used, and so Paul refers to this language. So here he is talking about Christ, and Christ isn't just the ruler of all the things that we see. It's all the seen and unseen, including these, these powerful forces that, that we don't often see, just we see the results of. Powerful stuff. And we could go off on that whole trail, because Paul does. He, he brings back this theme of these 
fallen and, and not fallen angels. In fact, in chapter 2, you got verse 8, verse 10, verse 15, verse 20, where he uses that language as well. All that to say there's always so much more that we can just cover on a Sunday. And one of the reasons we encourage you to get into your scriptures, study it yourself with, with, with a group. There's so much there, so many layers to it. In fact, right before Colossians 3.17, the verse that comes right before that is Colossians 3.16. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Richly. There's so much richness to the word of God. Let it dwell in you richly. Okay, back to the word and why Christ is a big deal. So we're now back in chapter 1, verse 18. Christ, why is he a big deal? He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Now, here's another, here's another thing I didn't know before this week. As much as on the surface, this text is painting a very vivid picture of Christ, there's also these layers to this as well. According to a different source other than the ESV Study Bible, one of my sources said that this is part of an ancient poem. That what we just read here is part of an ancient poem. Starting in verse 15 and going through verse 20, and there's some careful balancing of three sections. Let me show you the outside brackets of the section. In section 1 that begins in verse 15, you hear this language. Christ is the image of God, the firstborn for by him. And then you've got a third section where the language is similar. Christ is the beginning, the firstborn for in him. Do those two sections look like they're, that was intentional at all? It appears to be intentional and part of a poem. These two sections, interestingly enough, bracket a middle section that holds the outer two sections together, even as we just read that Christ reconciles all things and holds them together. Are you kidding me? The word of God, let it dwell in you richly because it's rich. And even as Paul is saying these things, he's using poetry to do these things. Isn't that crazy? Sometimes when you read the scripture and it feels a little choppy, sometimes it's because as they translate into English, we're losing some of this. That's why, again, we want to encourage you to dig into the scriptures. What Paul is doing in this letter, both on the surface and in the deeper layers, is letting us know that Christ is a really, really, really big deal. Because in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Now, if you've been coming here for a while, you've heard us press into that idea of the fullness of God and how that links to the Old Testament. Because every so often as we're working through the scriptures, we come to a place where it talks about the fullness of God dwelling, and that brings us back to the Old Testament. And it does that again here. In the Old Testament, that is language for God, where he filled the temple with his presence. And another of Paul's letter, Paul reminds us that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. So let me link these two things together really quick. As I just mentioned, in the Old Testament, God was said to have filled the temple with his presence. Here's an example from Ezekiel 44.4, where Ezekiel says, I looked and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Now remember the word glory, because we're going to see that a couple times here. I looked and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. 
Now Jesus bears God's glory because the fullness of God dwells in him. And at night, this was really interesting to me, at night I've been reading through the Psalms, and the other night I read Psalm 108. And it's interesting because then all of this gets pulled together there because we've got God's glory in Jesus, and then Psalm 108 connects our glory with God's glory. Look at this. Psalm 108, verses 1 through 2. The psalmist writes, My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody with all my being. Now, we read that in English. We don't see the glory. In Hebrew, it literally is, I will, I will make melody with all of my glory. I will awaken the dawn. I'll awaken the dawn with my glory. Well, then as we go ahead to verse 5, we see it says this, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Let's put these together then on the same slide. We've got this, this string, this praise that's coming out of this person who's saying, I'm going to sing. I'm going to make melody with all my glory. With my glory, I'm going to awaken the dawn. And then it says here, let your glory be over the, all the earth, talking about God. Get a picture in your head of what this person's saying. It's as if the person is saying, God, as the dawn breaks, your glory is evident, right? At night has one kind of glory, the stars and the moon and all this. Daybreak has another glory. The sun comes up. It illuminates everything. There's the beautiful sunrise. There's the clouds. There's a new set of animals that wake up in the day. There's the, 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 the nature, all that kind of stuff. God's glory in us as we align our lives with Christ, aren't we part of that glorious daybreak too? As we come and we do justice and we love mercy and we walk humbly with our God, isn't that the intent of our lives, Right? To be one, for is whatever is this sounds, to be one with what God's doing in the rest of the creation. We're to align with that. How beautiful is that imagery? Christ is the image of our invisible God. So as we walk in Christ's footsteps, people begin to see God's character. They begin to understand what God is like. More than just through his creation, through his glory in us, they begin to get very specific. Oh, God is like that. He tells the truth. He cares for people. He's a good God. You know, we've got a world that is really, really broken. You may have noticed that. Last week, we were in this room, and that's when the stories were coming out in the news about Orlando, while we were in this room. This is a really broken world. And what if every one of us woke every day and we were part of what God was doing to fix what's broken, right? Or at least to set an example to say there's another way to live. Imagine how we'd shine as individuals and as a community of faith. We say this just about every week. As we press into passages like this, Colossians 3.17, it's a challenge. Whatever you do, whatever you do, word or deed, do everything in line with the life and the teaching and the character of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. What are some examples of what that looks like in real life? Paul gives us some in this letter. He's got three therefores. I want to encourage you to, to read through Colossians. And you're going to, as you do, you're going to come all across these three therefores. If you want to be more like Christ, therefore, here's therefore number one, don't fall into the trap of empty religion or cultural currents. The ink wasn't even dry in the New Testament. And already people were falling into the trap of empty religion. They were so focused on the practices that they lost the plot. 
And Paul says in chapter 2, verse 17, he says, Hey, the rituals are just a shadow. The substance is in Christ. And I'm a big fan of so many of the rituals. I love the Lord's Prayer. I love baptism. I love communion. I love so many of the things that that we do that the scriptures point us to. But ultimately, they are means. They're means to bring us to a place where everything we do, in word or deed, we do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So as the Bible warns us to watch out for the trap of empty religion, it does another thing at the same time. It says, now don't go so far that you detach yourself and you start just following the world and what sounds good. You know, verse 4 of chapter 2 says, don't let people delude you with plausible arguments. Chapter 2, verse 8 says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy. Isn't that interesting language? I need to stop thinking about Captive. Philosophy can take you captive. There's a whole train that would be interesting to explore. Not right now. Um, An empty deceit that follows human tradition and elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. So again, why, why do we even need to offer a series like this on fatherhood? Because we live in a culture that wants to really marginalize it. And it, this word anchors us to a different reality. This is how Paul opens Colossians verses Uh, Chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't want to detach completely from the, or at all, from from the revelation of God through Scripture. That's one of the reasons we want to have the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. Okay, therefore, number two. If you want to be more like Christ, turn from your old ways. Turn from your old ways. If you want to be more like Christ, turn from what your life would have looked like apart from him. The Bible calls this repentance. This fall, we're going to do a series called Holy War. And one of the books that I'm reading in preparation for the series is a book by a former Muslim who converted to Christianity. And do you know what one of the stumbling blocks is that he points out? He says, here's one of the reasons why it's so hard for those of us who are Muslim to to embrace Christianity. He says it's because of the crosses you guys wear, and then you act completely different than the teaching of your holy book. He said, you know, you turn on the the TV, you go to the malls, wherever you go, you see these people wearing crosses, and then you live very differently than the teachings of your holy book. How can we get behind a religion like that? Because most Muslims hold Jesus in high regard. They think that our teaching about him was corrupted. Wow. Paul's teaching in Colossians is explicit. In verse 5, he writes this. this. These are his words, not mine. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, envy. He says, envy is idolatry. It's idolatry. In verse 7, he writes, in these ways you once walked. He said, you used to do this. If you're deciding to be a Jesus follower, followers of Jesus follow Jesus. You once walked that way. Now, set out to follow him. 
In verse 7, he goes, continues on that track after saying, this is, in these you once walked, but now you must put them away. He, he lists out things like anger, wrath, malice, slander, lies, obscene talk. He said, you used to do that now. Go this way. And I was so disheartened. Um, earlier this year, I saw this video that is part of a, a curriculum that a lot of churches are using. And in the curriculum, they, they had this guy that was trying to be all cool, this, this teacher, and, and he's like, so kids, which is the perfect way to be cool, so kids, right? Um, and so he's doing all this so kids stuff, and, and he says, um, some people think that the Bible is this book of rules, but it's not. And I'm like, oh, be careful where you're going here, cool guy, because is the Bible just a book of rules? Of course not. Of course not. That's a, that's a ridiculous straw man argument you should not be putting it in front of the kids. But more importantly, to give the impression that there aren't rules, and if there are, that's not a good thing, what are you teaching? Does the Bible have rules? Yes. Are they good? Yes. Thou shalt not murder is a really good rule. Can I get an Amen. Being faithful to your spouse is a really good rule. Can I get an amen? I, thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. These come from a loving father who gets it. It was just so disheartening to see what we're teaching our, quote, Christian kids. Jesus' followers follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. And let's teach them how beautiful it is, this thing called grace. That we don't have a, a father that is just, you get this right or you get out of my presence. We've got this loving father that as we're taking our steps towards him and we fall down through Christ, he can just laugh and just love us and sees what we can be rather than what we are. And it's just a beautiful thing. Grace is awesome. And grace, his kindness leads us to what? repentance. Which brings us to number three, another therefore. I'm not making these up. This, you go look up therefore in how it's used in Colossians, at least in, in the uh, ESV. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Walk in him. That's what it says, Colossians 2, 6 through 7. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And then it says this, be rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught. And I'm going to refer back, as we start to bring this to a close, I'm going to refer back to that book that I've been reading by a former Muslim. And we can learn an awful lot from the Muslim community. I, um, one of the reasons I took us off in that Psalm 108 detour is that phrase, Awaken the Dawn. And I'm, let me just tell you the story of how this all came together. At night, um, several days ago, I was reading through the Psalms, and I read that phrase, awaken the dawn. So that was at night. The next morning, I was up before dawn, and I'm reading this book from a former Muslim, right? And so as dawn is breaking, here's the words that I'm reading after having read Psalm 108, awaken the dawn with the glory of God in us. I'm reading this the next morning. At dawn. Across the Islamic world, voices usher the sun over the horizon. Have you guys ever seen that? 
when you, when you see, like, they'll show a clip on a video or something, and you'll hear the, the Muslims at daybreak saying their, their prayers. The core beliefs of the Muslims are repeatedly proclaimed as the sun comes up from rooftops and minarets all around the world. And here's what they're saying. They're saying, Allah is great. They start their day by saying, I bear witness that there's no God but Allah. And they start their day by saying, I bear witness that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. And then look at what he writes. This is vivid. Picture this in your head. It is the start of the Adahan, the call to prayer. The call reminds Muslims to dedicate their lives to Allah the very moment they awaken. To the alien observer, it might seem like this prayer is the very thing that rends the night sky, separating dark from day, infusing life into the Muslim lands and people. And this is really challenging. It's no surprise then that Muslims use this prayer not just to awaken one another for the day, but also to awaken one another into life. It is a hadith, a tradition of the Prophet Muhammad, that every Muslim child would hear this prayer at birth. When I was born, my father softly spoke it into my ear, echoing the words that his father had whispered to him 28 years earlier. Anyone else challenged by these words? Can you imagine the impact that we could have if the Holy Spirit was flowing through these types of practices with us? If the very first thing that we heard through a human voice was there is no God but our God. Jesus Christ is His Son. And that if every day, we started every day by by awakening with creation to say, here I am, God. All glory to you. May your glory shine through me, this broken vessel that you choose to, can you imagine? And then throughout the day, whatever I do, what if we had times of prayer that we put on our, what if we had reminders? Some people do this. Some Christians do this. They have their, their calendars beep at them throughout the day, a reminder, a call to prayer, a call to realign ourselves and say, whatever I do in word or deed, I'm going to do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we close this series, as we close this service, I'm going to invite those that would want to, to, to join me in praying to that end. So let's pray. Father, once again, we come to you and we thank you that you've revealed yourself to us as Father. And Father, we know that there's so many people who have never had a positive example in their life of what that even looks like. So we're so thankful for your word that shows us what that means. That you love us unconditionally. That you invite us into a life that is so good. That you can see visions for our lives because we're your workmanship and it's your desire to protect and to provide and to do all these things to come under your roof that we may experience your love and your guidance and your discipline when we need it, which is pretty much all the time. And Lord, we're thankful for the examples that you've placed right here in our midst. Examples for these kids, examples for us of men 
who are following after you. Lord, we pray that every one of us, that that would be our desire to follow after you. And Holy Spirit, we're so thankful for your presence that goes with us. We're so thankful that your presence isn't limited to a building or a gathering, but your presence is everywhere. Where can we flee from your presence? Nowhere. The highest heavens, the deepest depth, you're there. So Holy Spirit, we invite you right now and encourage you to have the courage to give this, pray this prayer. Father, we, we invite you to speak to us at all times and in all places, reminding us of how good it is in whatever we do, word or deed, to honor you. Holy Spirit, don't just convict us in such a way that brings the guilt. Lord, we pray that you would inspire us in a way that makes us want to be agents of change in this world and to pursue this incredible life that you call us to. Lord, help us to be the kind of people who cheer one another on. Help us to be the kind of people that weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice so that we can honor your name as individuals and together as a family. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. God bless you. Have an awesome, awesome week.